Last week, uh, <clears throat> we started um, a new year. Um, we actually took a break before we started this new series called Beneath the Service. We, uh, I challenge us starting tomorrow, <clears throat> on Monday, January 11th, to start 21 days of fasting. And before going to the sermon today, I, I want to just share with you how God is doing, um, is doing something in our country. Even though it's confusing, there's a lot of uh, things that is not right that are going on. In spite of all of that, God is moving among the churches, both from, from West Coast to East Coast. There are so many churches, unbeknownst to me, before I, uh, I call us to fast and pray for 21 days. Many other churches of different denominations and networks are doing the exact same thing. I don't think that is a coincidence. I think that is the move of God in our country to call us back to himself, to humble, submit ourselves to him so that we may be of best use. Just like what we talked about last week of the Antioch church so that we can expand the kingdom of God and see Jesus Christ glorified in our country and to the world. So to that end, we, uh, we're going to start a new series called Beneath the Surface. Today, I want to talk about the danger of saying no. The danger of saying no, as we kick off this series, we're going to talk about the 90% in our lives. I don't know if you know this, there is actually a problem in Christianity. It is not a new problem. It has been a problem for a long time. In fact, I would say that many non-believers have pointed out that problem to you and I, to the church, and yet we're too blinded to notice there's a problem. Very much like bad breath. We're often the last one to know. The problem we have in our churches, the problem we have in our lives, is the fact that many times our outside life does not match, our inside life does not match our outside life. How we live and who we are are, are, are not matching in the outs, uh, when people look at our lives. I think COVID kind of serves a lot of that, right? Uh, we're all expert on Zoom. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that yourself, but perhaps uh, you've seen other people have done that. We have the nice screen set up. We just let people see it on the, uh, on the, on the top of our, uh, what we're what, uh, on top of the screen. And we, people don't have no idea how messy or even within the picture, they're wearing shorts and sandals in a, in a work meeting. Perhaps you're doing the same thing at home in your school, in your class. Everything looks good within that monitor, that camera, but everything else behind the camera is a mess. I mean, just to show, be honest with you, I just shot a video for our promo for 21 Days of Fast and Pray. If you just look at the video, it looks like everything is good lighting, is clean. But literally, you know, you look at the, the back of, I turned the camera around, took a picture for you to see. Everything is dark and actually shows a picture that is decent to show you. There are many times that I'm on Zoom in my, in my own bedroom for our gathering Everything else in my room looks so messy, but no one would know because I just show you the nice, clean part. But that's not just being on Zoom, isn't it? We do the same thing in our lives. I came across this post on Instagram through Babylon via a Christian satire, a handle. Uh, I love how they say it. After sufficient amount of screaming, family is ready for church. And look at the picture. They're so happy. Parents, happy, smiling, kids smiling. And I guarantee you, if you ever, uh, if you, you have a family, this is not a joke. There are times that everyone showed up at church, everyone looks so happy, but right before they got out of the car, they were screaming and yelling, you sit down, you put down your snack, you can't pick up your Bible. 
See, there's an inconsistency of our lives. What, 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 what we do on the outside for God does not match who we are on the inside. Isn't it true there are times that you and I had the greatest devotional in the morning only to find out an hour later we start yelling, starting angry toward others. We are like having a mask, a constant smile on the mask, but inside we have not been changed by God. Inside we do not live. We strive to live like a Christian, but we have not genuinely strived to be Christian on the inside. We have received the gospel that changed our behavior, but the gospel has not penetrated deeply to change our hearts. We overvalue what people can see, but underdevelop where people cannot see. Our attitudes, our hearts, our devotion, our lack thereof toward people and toward God. I think of all the, all the news recently in the recent years and even decades on that all the leaders who have fallen, great Christian leaders who are great ministry, great platform, doing amazing things for God. People like Rafi Zacharias, people, people like uh, Bill Heibel, people like Carl Lenz who recently uh, got fired in, in Hillsong Church because of their sin, because of sexual uh, uh, misconduct. I think of pastors who have committed suicide, battled with, with mental illnesses, battled with, their, with, with the inner demon in their lives. I think of Jerry Wilson from Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside. I think of Andrew Stockline in Inland, Inland Hills in, in Chino. I think of Darren Patrick, a, a prolific writer, a church planner, started a church in, in, uh, in, in, in uh, South Carolina. I think of all these leaders, I point these out not to judge them, not to put them in. See, these leaders are not good. I point it out for you and I, but more for myself to realize that we are all susceptible to these things. You don't need a, a, a mega church pastor, a, congreg- a congregation member who is in the smallest of church are susceptible to living this type of inconsistent life that our inside doesn't match our outside because so much of our work is about the 10% of the iceberg. You're going to hear me talk about this all the time. That on the iceberg, there is only 10% what we can see. Many times for us, our Christian life is about what people can see. And we neglect to give the 90% for God to move and change, to affect, to transform in our lives. And because of that, we have not taken care of the 90%. We're so focused on the 10%, that 10% eventually got crumbled. Very much like the tragedy, the infamous tragedy of the Titanic. Titanic was crashed not because they did not see the 10%. They crashed, it crashed because it could not see the 90%. And so this series, we're going to talk about how do we take care of the 90%. How can we make space for God to work in the 90%. We're going to start today with a story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to talk about the life of Saul. If you have your Bible, I want to call you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And as you turn there, I want to give you a background because I don't have time to read through the entire story. First Samuel chapter 15, if you uh, know the story, um, King Saul was called by God to be the first king of Israel. He was called by God and Samuel was the prophet who called him to be the king. He was the man, the chosen man to supposed to lead the people of God. 
And First Samuel chapter 15, Samuel said to Saul, you are the man that God had chosen, chosen to, to lead the people. And now God has a task for you. You are supposed to go and annihilate to kill, uh, to defeat the Amalekites, who are the people who are sinful and evil. They have, are opposing God. And God told Saul, this is your job. You are to kill. And I know it sounds harsh. And now it's not the time for me to explain why we can talk about it in another sermon. But God actually told him to annihilate every person, everything from the Amalekites. Children, women, the king. And so Saul in chapter 15 summoned all the people and called up all the armies. He bring everyone and because of God's power and presence with them, they literally killed everyone in the, in the, among the Amalekites. But there was a problem because Saul did not obey God fully. God, uh, Saul did most of the job, but he let the people took some of the things back with them. Some of the animals with them. Some of the sheep in verse 9, the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the fattened calf, the lamb. So all those who were good, they were not utterly destroyed. And when God found out, God sent Samuel. To confront King Saul. And, and, and Samuel uh, approached Saul and said, how come I hear these animals in the background when the word of God when came to you said, you are to destroy everything. Why are you holding out on God and not do, did not do what God had called you to do? And so we'll pick up the story here in verse 17. Here's what it says in verse 17. After, um, after Samuel approached Saul, confronted Saul, Here's what Samuel said in verse 17. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, and the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel in verse 24, I have sinned for I have transgressed the, the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and he tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie and have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. 
Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Verse 32, then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Asak, Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you speak to us through this tragic story of Saul? A man who lived for the 10% and neglected the 90% of his heart. God, would you teach us today so that we will not say no to you, will not say no to taking care of the whole life that we, you have given to us. Meet us where we are today, God. For some of us, we may be struggling. For some of us, we might be thriving. But no matter where we are, God, speak to us. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Get glory among us today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You see Saul here in the story did most of what God called him to do. He did by all account a 10% what everyone can see and yet there was a bitter ending to his life. God departed from him. God rejected him. God turned his face away from him. So what got him to this point? I want to share with us three simple things that he did. Three simple no's that he has said to God. Three, three simple no's he has said to his own heart that had led him to this tragic ending. The first thing I want to show us is this, is that Saul said no to being self-aware and reflective. Saul was living under this lie, this, this delusion that he all along was obeying God. Saul said no to wrestling with God, who he really is underneath. All the junk, all the difficult, all the, all the evil and sin in his heart. He lived under this lie the whole time, thinking that all along, I actually obey God. Look at verse 13 again. Samuel came to Saul. Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. In, in Saul's mind, he had obeyed and performed exactly what he thought God had told him to do. He was so proud that he, that he had done the job. In fact, in verse 20, after Samuel approached him again to make sure he understand what he did wrong, notice what he said. He said, I have obeyed. I have gone. I even brought the king back. I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. See, in his mind, he was living under this delusion and, and lie that everything he was doing was for God. And that's what makes this story so tragic. It's because he was un, unaware. He, has not, he does not have enough reflection of his life and awareness of his own life that's living under these lies of himself. See, the reason why he was doing all these things was because he didn't know how much he, he needed the approval of man. He was living all along for the fear of man. See, this is not the first time that Saul had done that. 
there is a pattern of his life that he need the approval of men. He lived for the he fear how people look at him, how people see him. He is so focused on worrying about what the 10% look nicely that he is unaware of this fear and, and need for approval underneath. See, first Samuel chapter 13, if you don't have your, you can you don't have to turn there. We saw that Samuel uh, was supposed to come and offer this offering and sacrifice on behalf of Saul because he was the prophet. But Saul could not wait because Samuel was running a little late. So you know what Saul did? He offered himself, which was a big no-no because you needed a prophet to do that. And the reason why he did that was why? Because the chapter 13, verse 13 told, told us that he, people were scattering. People were leaving, so people, he was so worried that people are, are not recognizing him as the powerful king. So he rolled up his sleeve and offered a sacrifice and violated the, the law of God. Later on, we know the story of David after he killed uh, Goliath. People were chanting, David, uh, uh, Saul killed a thousand, but David, tens of thousands. Again, he was so wrapped up in this uh, need for approval and acceptance by people that for the rest of his life, he was chasing, hoping to kill David. Even here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he, he didn't see that this fear of man that he had, his need for approval. When, Saul, and when Samuel approached Saul and confronted him, you know, he said, I did all the job. You know who didn't do their job? The people. Look at verse 15. These people have brought them from Amalekite. They are the one who brought the sheep, not me. They were the one who brought the oxen. In fact, they wanted to offer a sacrifice for you, God. Look at the lie that he's li living under. Verse 21. The people were the one who took the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction. Again, Saul excused himself, lived under this lie. He didn't see underneath this 90% of the iceberg, there is this in intense fear for people, the need to be accepted by people. But here's the amazing thing. That he actually had a moment of clarity. Even in just taking a short moment to take Samuel's word on face value in verse 24, after, after God gave him the rebuke, and in a moment of, there's a short, brief moment of clarity, he finally got underneath the 90% and saw what was the problem in his life. Look at what it says in verse 24. He's, he's, he's saying, sorry to God, I've sinned, I regress, I transgressed the, the commandment of the Lord and the words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. You see, if he, but by that time it was too late. He didn't have this pattern of his life to continue to reflect on his own life, to get down underneath the 90%. He keeps saying no to be reflected, to be self-aware. But we see in just even a moment of clarity, a moment of reflection, he realized these things are all underneath him. All these thoughts, fear, need for approval, need for acceptance, live in that 90%. And he never dipped his head down enough of the water to see. I believe this is the big difference between David and Saul. Because let's be honest, you can argue David actually sinned more. I mean, this King David stole someone's wife, killed her husband, and lied about it. I mean, Saul only didn't kill everybody. He didn't kill all the animals. In fact, the people used the offer to God. You can argue 
that David actually committed a graver sin, a more serious sin. And yet, God continued to call David to be a man after his own heart. Why? See, I think the difference between David and Saul is simply this, that David actually were self-aware. David was actually reflective. David actually dove down into the 90% of the iceberg and come face to face with all the junk that is in his heart. You know, maybe be saying, how do you know that? He didn't say that. I don't need to say that because we have a book called the book of Psalm. If you read through the book of Psalm, which you ought to do frequently, what you will find is that over a third of the Psalms are the wrestling of David's heart to God. There are psalms in there that, that are super raw with emotions, that there are anger, there are despair, there are things, uh, there are disappointment toward God. And David did what Saul would not do. David bring all of that 90% before God and say, God, I wrestle, I struggle with this. This is not right about me. And he wrote about it, he thought about it, he wrote songs about it. As opposed to Saul, Saul did nothing about it. He was not even willing to dip his head down to take a look of his heart. And in every one of these Psalms, you see David was being real with God. You see, I would argue that the book of Psalms is actually the book of the 90%. The book of Psalms reveals to us what's underneath of David's life and perhaps even in your life and my life. And the beauty of the book of Psalms, the beauty of example of David, he didn't just leave it there. Yes, he even committed sin against God. He has slept with Bathsheba, killed her husband, and lied about it. And in Psalm 51, he came clean before God. He said, I sinned against you, God. Not just Bathsheba, not just her husband. I sinned against you. He came clean and he held on to God's love and forgiveness. You see, if we are to let God to deal with the 90%, we need to be clean with God about our 90% of the iceberg. But Saul was unwilling to do that. He said no to taking an honest look and be reflective of who he really is. He focused on the 10%. So Saul said no to being self-aware, to be reflective, but here's the second thing we see. We see Saul said no to nurturing his relationship with God. Saul said no to nurturing, building, developing his relationship with God. See, the problem with Saul was he confused his calling from God with his relationship with God. Saul was so focused on, on being called by God to do something that he neglected his being with God. You see, it is so easy for us, isn't it? Sometimes it's easier to do things for people than actually be with people. I mean, think, for example, if you're married, it is so much too, too easier to just live like a couple than actually invest in that relationship. You can get married and not develop in your marriage. Think about your family. You can live together, eat together, talk to one another in your family, and just be a house, but never develop to, that to be a home where there's relationship, genuine loving relationship between husband and wife, father and sons, mother and daughters, siblings. You can totally do something and not be something. And I believe for so many of us, it is kind of illustrative of our lives with God. I challenge our worship team. Well, I appreciate their, their dedication week in and week in our sound team every single week coming here to do the recording of our worship service. 
But let's be honest, sometimes it is easier to show up here to record for three hours than to spend 30 minutes with God alone in his word and prayer. And I'll be honest with you, there are times that it's easier for me to stand up here to preach to you than let the word of God preach to me in the quietness of my heart. And for many of us, it is easy to just show up online here to listen to someone say something to you. And it's altogether difficult to even open up that app in the morning to come face to face, to be spoken to, to spoken into, to be transformed face to face with Jesus. You see, for Saul, he was so concentrated on what he can do for God, he forgot that he needed to be with God. Look at the harsh rebuke that God gave him through Samuel. In verse 22, this is Samuel speaking, but really it was God's word to Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams, for rebelling is a sin of divination. Look, see the word, the heaviness of this sin. When we don't listen to God, when we are not be with God, it's like divination. And presumption is as iniquity, idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. You see, God did not rebuke Saul because he didn't do anything for God. The rebuke was so heavy, not because God wasn't focused on what he did not do or did do. God's rebuke against Saul was whether he was with him or not. See, obedience is a matter of the heart. See, sacrifice is a matter of the 10%, but the obedience has to do with the 90%. Do you hear God's word and want to do it? Do you love God? Do you, are you willing to be with God? Saul was not. Saul was so focused on making it look nice on the outside in front of people and even in front of God, that he forgot that he needed time to be with God so that the 90% can be changed. See, God is not so interested in changing the 10% of your life. God wants all of our lives. He is just as interested for you to sacrifice, but that sacrifice needs to match our devotion to God. Our doing for God must flow out of our being with God. If you get the being with God genuinely, you will get the doing for God, right? But if you just get the doing of God, right, you might not ever get back to being with God. That was the case for Saul. See, nurturing our relationship with God takes time. It takes stillness of our hearts. It, it, we cannot do that in a hurry. It takes effort. I always find it funny when people tell me that, oh, I just don't feel God in my life. I just don't feel God's presence. God's just not working. I don't know why. And then when I ask them, how have you been spending time with the Lord? Like beyond just showing up on worship, beyond just home, like how do you spend time with the Lord? What does it look like? Like do you engage in praying, quietness before the Lord? Do you read? And they say, oh, yeah, I kind of do. Like I do like five minutes in the morning, like, and then the rest of the day I just kind of do my thing. And it is as if magically five minutes can just radically change us. I think of it this way, like if I have a cup of tea right here and you just dip the tea back in for 30 seconds and then you take it out and then you start drinking that tea, you complain, that tea is so lame. 
It's so bad, I can't taste any tea. This is such a bad tea. You see, the problem is not the tea. The problem is you. The problem is me that I've not leave that tea back long enough so that it steeped the water, changed the water. We cannot expect God to just change us in, in, in five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour a day when there's 23 hours the rest of the day that we're not engaging, being in the presence of God. I'm convinced that our greatest danger in our spiritual life is not that we don't want God. It's that we live under this lie that we can have God and can have everything else as well. See, we live under this veneer that I can do everything. I can have everything. I can do everything. There is no limit to my life. And so because of that, maybe we want Jesus, but I also want entertainment. I also want to be free to do whatever I want. I also want to, to, to do whatever that feels good to me. And so we think we can have it all. So I will squeeze God in, but I'll squeeze God in somewhere in the margin of these things and opposed to let God be in all of these things. That the presence of God is not marked by just a few minutes of a day, by just your devotional time, by just your corporate prayer time, that the presence of God is being felt and engaged throughout the day. And that's what we're going to look at this series. How can we do that? Because unless we do that, we'll be like Saul. We will say no to nurturing a relationship with God. And we will easily just focus on the 10%. And here's the last thing. Not only did Saul say no to being reflective, be self-aware, to dive deep into the 90%, let God expose some of that. Not only did he say no to nurturing God, well, his relationship with God, spending time with God, steep his life long enough in the presence of God so that the word of God, the power of God can change his life. Here's the last thing. Saul said no to brokenness, setback, and trials. Saul said no to embracing what was not right, what was broken, what was uh, difficult in his life. See, Saul, Saul, Saul brokenness, setback, and trials as barriers for maturity to God. When those things actually are pathways for us to be mature in God, to grow closer to God. And look at the way when, how Saul reacted to Samuel. When he finally realized Samuel was for real, Samuel was really confronting him of his sin. Look at how quickly Saul wanted, just, wanted to just put them under the rug, sweep them under the rug and just move on. Look at verse 24, 25. He says, please, I'm sorry. He says, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Verse 30, he says, ah, yes, I've sinned, I've sinned. Here's, here's the key phrase. He said, yet honor me now before the elders of my people, before Israel. He still wants to save face. See, Saul did not just say sorry because he genuinely felt repentant toward God, that he did not embrace the, 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 the evil that he's done, the brokenness that he's going through. He quickly just want to bypass it so he can get back to being pleased by people, to get back to being accepted by people so that he will still have his face before the elders of the people. Saul completely missed what God wanted to do in his life. He just wanted to let that pass real quick and just continue on as if nothing had happened. The 10% continue to stay intact. 
He never grieved his sin against God the way that David did. Same situation. Nathan confronted David. Samuel confronted Saul. One paused and cried out to the Lord and accepted his responsibility and become repentant. The other just want to quickly move past so that he will look good in the front of people's eyes. See, God uses our brokenness, even our sin, as pathway to draw us closer to him. It is no accident that God never looked for perfect people in the Bible to be, to use, for, to be used for his kingdom. Every person and were used by God powerfully, both in the Bible and in the history of Christianity, are broken, sinful people. See, God uses our brokenness, our setback, our difficulties for a particular purpose, to help us to have humility before God. You know what humility is? Humility is to see God rightly. Humility is to see God as God and I'm not. And every time when we embrace brokenness, when we work through the, the, the sins that we have, we have committed, every time when we come face to face with our limitation, with a setback and difficulty, you know what it does? It set us in the right place and say, maybe I'm not as God, I'm not God like I thought I would be. Maybe I didn't know God as much as, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the power as God as I thought I would be. I don't have the wisdom of God as much as I think I have. And every time when we embrace and deal with our grief, brokenness, we brought us to a right place where Jesus said in the, in the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, we won't experience God fully until we see God rightly. You and I will never experience God fully unless we see God rightly as, the, as king, as creator, as the God of the universe, and we are poor in spirit. That allows us to see God rightly. I think of Abraham. Waited for all these years before he has Isaac. Think of the lies that he had to live through, that, that he's trying to trick people about his own wife about to, trying to have another son that is, that is not the rightful uh, descendant that God has for him. Think of Moses in the desert for 40 years before God called him to lead his people out of Egypt. I think of Samuel, the man who sinned, sinned gr uh, greatly against God, having to be broken by God, yet embrace that brokenness and be uh, uh, repentant toward God. And finally, God used him for the one last time to bring down the Philistines. I think of David himself, the man after God's own heart was once a murderer, an adulterer, and a liar. Yet God, when he got through his, uh, David's repentance, used him mightily and even through his lineage brings out Jesus. I think of Jesus, Paul, Apostle John, Apostle B, you name it, whoever you name that's been used by God are broken people who embrace their brokenness and their sinfulness and God redeemed that person. Because now they're at the right place being poor in the spirit of God. The question is never whether we will have brokenness, setback, and trials. The reality is we will have them. But how we deal with them, how we process them, what we do with them is going to set for us whether a pathway to be used by God or become a barrier where it keeps us away from God. 
I'm convinced for every one of us, this story tells us that God wants to get rid of the salt in each one of us. There is a salt in my life, and there is a salt in your life. That it is so easy to live for that 10% and everything looks good. Everything is appeasable to people. Everyone will cheer you on and look at you and say, great job. You are such a faithful person to the Lord. Love Jesus. But underneath it all, we all try, are at times tempted to be like Saul. There are 90% of things that are undealt with in our hearts that God longs to free us from. At the end of this chapter, perhaps a sad ending that Saul never thought would happen. In verse 34, and Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. They parted ways. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. What was once promised to be a king for Israel, promised to be of use by God, ended his discontent for the rest of his life. And worse than that, rejection by God. Think about the word that was said. God regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So let this story be a warning for us. I believe God is calling each one of us not just to fix the 10%. One reason why for the next few weeks we'll dive into hopefully happier news for you is there are ways for us to deal with the 90%. There are ways for us that God is using for us to take good care so that we can say yes to self-awareness. We can say yes to reflection, reflective toward our lives. We can say yes to nurturing our relationship with God. We can say yes to embrace brokenness, setback, and difficulties and trials in our lives. And so I want to invite you to join us, not just on Sunday, but even on the time after our Sunday worship service for our Thursday night small group because we just don't have the time to digest all of this on, uh, on a Sunday environment. So I want to encourage you to join us as you wrestle with the 90%. You need someone to come by and pick you up, someone to come along to care for you, someone to speak truth to you. And I'm praying that the next few weeks, God will cause a revival among us, that God will speak to the, the perhaps painful things in those 90%. I look forward for God to redeem that, change us, so that those 90% will, will, will be expressed in a God-honoring, powerful way in a 10% so that the world can see the power of the gospel in our lives. So would you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the example of Saul. What a tragedy. And yet, God, we know that you give us these stories so that we will know that, we, we, that you want more than just the outside of our lives. So God, as we enter into a season of fasting and praying, drench us with your presence, drench us with your word. 
Help us to set aside time to nurture our relationship with you at different period of time, different blocks of time and throughout the day. God, help us to slow down so that we can be reflective all that we're wrestling and being tempted by. And God, whatever that we're dealing with, God, I, I trust that your spirit will give us freedom so that we can be released of these things so we can drink deeply of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. So God, we offer ourselves to you. Have your way in us. Tether our hearts to yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.